Diamond Answer Man, episode 24. Lots of questions from emails. Well, hello, everyone. This is Jake Mr. McGurth's Diamond Answer Man show. If you've got any questions, you may phone them in to me at 803-792-1326. As always, the goal of our show is to help everyone feel more confident about their purchases and memorialize those special moments. If you have any need to contact me or have any questions you'd like to have answered, you may reach me at the forum on the website, which is diamondanswerman.com. And uh, you may also follow me on Twitter, D-A-M-J-C-G-O-R-I-T-Z. Also, uh, link up with me on LinkedIn. And uh, today is going to be a, a little bit more of a shorter show than normal. We've got a couple of emails that uh, we're going to handle today. And uh, some of the things that they talked about on the emails are, are, are some things we've talked about before. And um, one of the emails I received here just as of recently uh, was one of an individual that had um, a bad buying situation and it was very unfortunate that she found our show afterwards. However, she did have the courage to follow up with the jeweler. Unfortunately, at this time, there is no resolution. Now, here's the unique situation to this. Of course, most of my knowledge deals with, and again, I'm not an attorney, but having been an appraiser, the, uh, the I'm more familiar, of course, with the laws and the terminology as they would be here in the uh, United States. Now, you're talking about, it, or I received the email from an individual who lived in Hong Kong. Now, her concern was, of course, was representation. And if you're an individual buying a diamond or an engagement ring today, I do have the Affidavit of Diamond Buying Agreement, which is for free, available online. You can download it at diamondanswerman.com. And uh, it would be under the forward uh, slash or the link at the top called under Diamond Buying. It'll have a link there for you. And uh, she had emailed me about the use of this form after she had actually made a purchase. And, uh, you know, you, you can understand my response uh, was one, well, of course you can try. I mean, you can always ask anybody any question you would like. The, the, uh, the situation would be is how likely would it be that they would sign the agreement. So here's, here's her story. So she went into a store and found a ring that she really uh, was endeared to. And, um, it turns out that the uh, the jeweler who had sold it to her had made a statement of a broad range of grades on the uh, center stone. Um, it was from a D all the way down. And, uh, you know, her, of course, desire was to have one that was one of D and um, had a range of weight on the center stone. And uh, she didn't... Um, she didn't, you know, uh, think about that. This was the first store that she had gone into. So she put her money down on it, and then she travels to the next store, meets uh, another sales associate, and um, they have one in there which is tagged and termed not with broad grades and has a report with it. So the unfortunate situation was that she put a large sum of money down on the first ring, and in the first store, of course, uh, her her problem was is when she went back, 
they would not refund or return any money or give a better clarification on the uh, on the diamond itself. Obviously, it was preset, and maybe the sales associate had no idea, of course, what it was that he or she had. And, um, you know, that that's one of those, even myself, as I'm talking about this, kind of feels like a, a it's a glum situation. You don't want to get into those situations. You want to make sure that you have a positive experience and that you're excited when you're when you're going to buy something. And the sales associate there is is uh, is exhibiting that that triangle of of of, of um, personality traits that we talk about, personality, enthusiasm, integrity, you know, do they have do they engage with us? Do they do they um, uh, do they direct us and help us make good decisions? And uh, of, of course, founded by that uh, that cement foundation of integrity. And of course, in this situation, she um, she contacted me, and I, I uh, emailed her back a few times. And um, you know, uh, she did try to have them sign the affidavit of diamond buying agreement, but of course. She, at this point, they wouldn't, and uh, and she canceled her um, her. Uh, I guess it was a layaway on the item, and um, they refused to give her her money back. So we'll go back to further shows or past shows that I've had, past show situations where I would, of course, encourage someone if they're. Uh, especially engagement ring buyers, if you're a gentleman out there and you're going back and forth with a dealer on the clarity, and I mean, what I don't mean is the clarity, the diamond clarity of the grade, right? Not the not the clarity grade itself, but an understanding of what the grade would be if it's unserted or if it has a questionable cert with it. Obviously, you want to make sure they sign the affidavit of diamond buying agreement to give you a little bit more Comfort, um, obviously, it, it's, it, it isn't necessarily a, a, a legal agreement that would be recognized by some states out there, but it would be one that would set some tone for what uh, would be sold. Now, here's the other thing I'd want to make sure that you do is, is make sure that on your receipt, whether it's a digitally print, printed receipt or whether it's a hand-signed receipt, that you have specific details of the diamond, the the center diamond, at least grade, um, the side stones, of course, you know, side stones, you know, after a certain point, um, can receive uh, uh, laboratory certificates uh, or, or mini certs, is what they would call them, diamond grading reports or diamond dossiers, you know, those kinds of terms that they'll use with them. But small melly stones usually don't have a certificate or a diamond report with it; they're too small. And, uh, you know, so when you look at color grades, you'll find ranges of color grades. And even in clarity, you've got to remember that clarity is, is, is a purity scale. And so it can be really affected by the size of the stone. So when you're looking at a five-point diamond, um, how do you discern whether it's flawless or, or VVS? That becomes quite difficult and, so, um, and, and time-consuming. So you have to realize that uh, a, a VVS inclusion in a very small, small diamond would be very different uh, from, uh, let's just say, it would be very different from a quarter of a carat to a, to a five carat. The inclusion's purity would be different. So the percentage of purity would change. 
types of inclusions could be the same, but uh, overall I- impression would be very different. And that's a, that's, that's a concept that a lot of people have a hard time grasping. So the bigger your diamond, the bigger your inclusion can be sometimes, especially in your SI stones. If you look at a, a three-quarter carat or let's say a half-carat SI stone, they're usually not going to be eye-visible inclusions. But if you look at an SI stone, uh, whatever grade, SI1 or SI2, in a five-carat diamond, and I'm going to tell you, most people can, you know, with at least a little bit of time, can point it out regularly, so really easily. So it's um, the bigger the stone, the bigger the inclusion. And that's a rough rule. You know, it's not an exact. It's a rough rule, and and, um, I hope that gives you a little bit of an idea. So anyway, this young lady then... um, then uh, had you know tried to have them fill out the report and and they wouldn't, and so now she's out her funds. So don't get stuck in those situations. It's okay to make emotional purchases. You know, I'm not saying you have to be logical at all times. I'm saying sometimes buying something, part of buying something, is the experience. And, you know, especially if you're traveling or you're on a, on a vacation somewhere, you can find beautiful pieces of jewelry that, um, that uh, you know, you, you want to purchase. And, and just because, you know, um, you know, you're not prepared with a document, you know, to have them signed doesn't mean you, you shouldn't purchase, but it does mean that you should practice good uh, buying protection. You know, you want you want to prepare yourself. So when you're on these sort of events where you're having a good time, you're out, you know, um, you're on vacation somewhere. You were out playing volleyball two hours before, and uh, now now you're out shopping. You're in your shorts, your flip flops, and you walk into a jewelry store and you're having a good time. And uh, maybe your wife uh, finds something beautiful, or or maybe if. Um, you're a young lady, you find something beautiful, or even a young man, you see a watch or something. You know, just make sure that you make the moment memorable. However, you also make sure that you don't, you know, uh, not protect yourself. So when you're buying in those situations, make sure, I know I'm being, uh, I'm, I'm grinding this in. I, I just want to make sure that I, I, I underline it completely, that, um, that you protect yourself. You have, you have a duty to protect yourself. Uh, you know, your finances and, and make sure you get the best value you can. So make sure that uh, that all details are on the receipt. You want a date on the receipt and uh, you want the items, uh, you know, uh, what it's made out of. If you can uh, find out how it's constructed, whether the item was cast or die struck, um, you know, the type of finish on the ring. I'm talking about complete details. They don't have to be written like an appraisal, but if you're buying an engagement ring, it's a high polish uh, semi mount, which is in a solitaire type style uh, with a six prong platinum head. You know, uh, descriptions like that. And then with the diamonds, obviously, if there's a, a collection of diamonds on the on the ring, you know, so you have an assortment where this. Uh, these smaller melee stones are surrounding the, um, the the center diamond. You want to have a count of those diamonds. So make sure they have a count of the diamonds. And then if possible, and I would encourage this, a range of the sizes. So if they're one millimeter to three millimeters, uh, and you know, you're giving them your money, so there's no reason why they shouldn't do this, right? They, they may not be used to it, 
but make them earn your money, right? This is you're you're handing over your hard earned cash. You know, if there's twenty stones, how hard is it just to measure twenty stones and and give the dimensional ranges for those twenty stones? So there's ten that are one to one point five millimeters, and and there's five that are one point five to to or one point six to two millimeters, and then all the rest are three millimeters. You know, something like that, and then give a give the range of the colors and clarity, so you have a good description of what the ring would be. And then of course on the center stone, you know, make sure that they give their dimensions, their length, their width, their depth, uh if they can their table size, all those kinds of things they can do with a microscope and very simple tools. If they cannot do those kinds of things, I mean at least get a generic description of the weight. I shouldn't say that, not generic. Get a weight, get a color get color and you know get clarity all those kinds of things that go into make up identifying the stone in the best case scenario you want all those other descriptors on that receipt and here's why you know i may have the affidavit of diamond buying which has some specific things it details and outlines for color and clarity it also has you know some specific agreements that the jeweler would adhere to uh if said diamond came back, and we're talking about specifically center stones, if that diamond came back and it was not the grade, it has little things in there what the jeweler should do in the case that the diamond's not as it is represented. And that's in the case where you would buy a diamond with or without a report. You take it to a laboratory uh, or you give it to a laboratory that grades the diamond and it comes back in a lesser color clarity or carrot weight, whatever, whatever the description would be characteristic than what it was sold at. Then the jeweler should, you know, return or refund your money, pay for the cert that you had prepared on it and, or supply you with a diamond as was represented. You know, those, those kinds of things seem fair and reasonable. And I don't think anybody would reject signing a document like that. It also has a little section in there that states that the jeweler is uh, is stating in his own or her own signature that the diamond was ethically mined and, uh, and whether or not it comes with a report and the number of the report. All those kinds of things go together in also helping you if you had... Um, had lost the diamond, those descriptions would come together on the document to help you source the diamond. It would have the, you know, the grades and all those kinds of things with it. So the, uh, the minimum that you would want would be every detail possible on the receipt. You never want to walk out of a store that has the receipt stating minimal details such as one round brilliant, uh, one clear round brilliant, uh, set in, you know, 14 karat yellow gold semi-mount. I mean, what does that tell you? You don't have any description of the weight of the metal. You don't have any description of the, of the diamond itself. And, I'm, and I know as you're shopping out there, there are stores you will go into that will say this. Now, that doesn't mean they're unethical, um, you know, because most of those stores will have some sort of backup information, and some of them will prepare it for the appraisal. However, you can't, on your first purchase... You know, you want to make sure you're buying from someone ethical. You want to make sure you're choosing the right place to purchase from. You want to make sure you're, you are dealing with somebody who will help you in those situations later for special engagements and special occasions. But um, you want to make sure that you're financially protecting yourself 
and you're prepared, make them prove to you that they're worth your dollar. A very good and ethical company will absolutely jump through hoops to make sure they earn and keep you as a client. And I can't underscore that anymore. Don't think that by asking someone questions or for extra details on your receipt that you're putting them out, you just handed them $1,500 or $15,000. I don't really care what it is. It's a lot of money. And uh, in some cases, it could be $150,000. So whether it's um, you know, a small amount or a, an extremely large amount of money, make sure that they earn your business. But a year from now, when you're still doing business with them, don't slip. Create a relationship where they understand that you expect to have specific details on your ring so they know when they're selling to you that, that you're a step up above their standard customer, that, you're, that, that, that you, you do demand that they provide you with information that will give you the details in the event of a loss. And of course, then you, know, you, you most certainly should ensure your peace. But in the case of this young lady, you know, she, she was having fun. And, and it's unfortunate that we talk about these kinds of situations because it ruined her moment. And this jeweler has not corrected it and doesn't deserve, in my opinion, to be in this business. That's my opinion, and I'm very strong about it. Stores that deal with customers in this way, and there's, there, there's, they, they are out there. I mean, we know that they're everywhere, but there's also some fantastic jewelry stores, and I know if you're shopping for an engagement ring, you can find one. But uh, stores like that should not be in business. That's that's my opinion. It doesn't uh, have any legal basis. I mean, anybody can open up their business and, and set the terms of their contracts and agreements however they want it. But you also remember, if you've heard earlier shows, that uh, I make the statement that you should never buy from a store that has a no-refund policy posted in the store. If it's not posted in the store, if it's posted on the receipt... You know, so you want to make sure that if, if a store says we have no refunds, they have to, in most cases, at least here in most of the states in this in the United States, they have to post it on the receipt and they have to post it somewhere on the wall. If they don't do that, of course, you could um, – it's a legal situation. It might be difficult. But you don't have as um, – it, it's not as strong. You'll have to work to get your, your money back. Um, but they failed – to inform you, of course, of the refund policy. So if, if a store has it post and it's on their receipt and they're strong about that, you don't want to buy from them. Don't buy from these stores that have no refunds. Now, that doesn't mean if they have an estate case, right? If they have an estate case and they're dealing with really old jewelry or, or of course, if, if you want some crazy, and I'll just say it, if you want some crazy, in my opinion, could be an ugly ring that you're designing, um and you're making that jeweler uh, create that ring in wax. And, you know, two weeks from now when they produce the ring and they try to inform you that it wasn't a good idea, you know, that's, that's, that's you. What I'm talking about is walking into a store and um, you see a ring in the case, you find the diamond, they put the diamond in, in, in the ring and you walk out and something goes wrong. I don't care what it is, something goes wrong. And... uh and the diamond isn't what it is, or the, 
the ring isn't what it is, or there's some structural issues with the ring, you should have some sort of a refund and return situation with that. You make them make something custom, you make them go out of their way and do something crazy, you have to own some of what it is. So there may be a situation where you don't have refunds or returns, maybe in-store credits on custom-made items. I mean, I understand that. I'm talking about there are stores out there who don't give refunds on anything, and you never, ever, ever deal with those stores. I I don't care what the situation is uh, or how great the deal is. You don't you don't want to buy from them. So that was my first question. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wish her well. I, I hope that there can be some resolution. I did refer her to some of the consumer legal organizations over there in Hong Kong. And I'm hoping she uses some of those avenues to help, you know, uh, sort of empower her or give her some sort of tool that can help her get her money back, or at least maybe rectify the situation with the jeweler. So I'm, I'm crossing my fingers, and I, and uh, you know, if I hear anything positive, I will let you know. So the other question I received was one from John, and John had a question about, um, you know, uh, uh, theoretical analysis and whether or not he could use some of the different analyzers out there on the internet. And there's some great ones out there on the internet. And, uh, you know, so can you um, buy a diamond from a jeweler that is not stated ideal, but then go to a set of parameters and then use those parameters and apply them to the diamond to find out if you have a great performing diamond? And I I, I would say that, sure, it's possible. Uh, However, it's unlikely and, uh, you know, so I would say that in every case, and you've heard me say this before, that you want to deal with a jeweler that uses an A-set, right, or a fire scope or an ideal scope or a symmetroscope or any of those devices that show an actual performance in the diamond. Here's why. I am not making it up when I, when I make the statement that different diamonds, even with similar proportions can have very different performances. And uh, we've seen that, those, those variations that can occur. We've seen it where diamonds with same proportions can have different degrees and types of performance. In practice, many times. And we've seen images, and then we've also seen the theoretical analysis that, boy, I just slurred that out, huh? The theoretical analysis that uh, has been produced by um, American Gem Society. I remember going uh, or having Peter Yancer come to uh, uh, where we were working, and we had a big forum where jewelers jewelers could come, and uh, they brought some of their research as they had before the ASET was invented. And uh, we had situations to where you could see the um, the different performance in diamonds with with extremely, you know, it's impossible really to get them identical, with extremely similar uh, proportions. So the internal physiology in a diamond, in reality, so we're talking about the actual diamond, not in a computer where we have a pure model, not in a computer where we can control the light perfectly. We're talking about in a, in a, in a model, you can make everything exact. I mean, there's all sorts of stories where, you know, somebody has designed something and use science, physics, you know, their engineering and they make it perfect. And then the, then the, the item 
fails. There's a reason why we have wind tunnels, right? Because in the, in the computer, uh, we can design it perfect. Uh, we can even do it by hand in, in a calculator if we need to, um, you know, to, to test resistance and, and, and wind if we're designing a plane. But there's a reason why there's wind tunnels for planes because certain structural integrities can change once you put all those things together. Now, I know that's a stretch to a diamond, but a diamond is different. A diamond has the natural internal physiology in it, and if you don't um, uh, sort of mate the, um, the external physiology, the, the, the fastening as those, those proportions are applied to the internal physiology of the diamond, the uh, the diamond won't perform as well as it could. So there's a, there there is a recipe. There is a recipe inside. There's a way the diamond wants or needs to be cut to release its beauty. The problem is is that people just apply external parameters and just sort of force a diamond into those ranges and expect it always to look the same. So the theoretical analysis is. Well, I just can't say that. <laughs> Those individuals who've come up with these sets of parameters have done so with experience. And they've done them with, you know, computer analysis. So they've run their numbers and they've seen their ranges. And here's here's how I would describe it. So if I have a GPS in my car and I know I want to live in a house, I don't know, we'll just pick it pick where I came from. We want to live in a house in California, right? And I know the house is in California. I know the the city that house is in California. I even know the block that it is in California. And I know the house. So when I look at these theoretical guides, these mathematical uh, guides that are out there, they give us the impression that they can, they're like a GPS, that you can look at them and then look at a diamond's parameter and we can get directly, exactly to the driveway of the house I want to get to. When in reality, what ends up happening is, is they've narrowed the, the, the range. So if I'm in the United States and I put my GPS on and it's not bad where, you know, you turn the GPS on and I say, I want to go to this house in California and it tells me I'm there, yet I'm in New York. You know, that would be a a very bad GPS. So what they've designed is they've designed these theories and these theories are like a GPS unit. They're not, they're, they're from whoever the satellite is, whoever the inventor is. And unfortunately, what these GPSs are only able to do because they can't know the internal physiology of the diamond, it's it's a theoretical guess, right? It's, it's, it's their idea of what should be a great performance. So it gets you sometimes to the city, right? So, and if you're lucky, it gets you to the block. But it never, ever, ever can get you to the house. So if you need to get to a specific destination and you want a specific beauty in your diamond and you want a high-performance diamond, Sure, you can get there. You can get there pretty close using these guides, but I would never use one ever. Yes, I just stopped. I I made a statement. I would never use a theoretical guide and hang my hat on that as my tool of choice to find my beautiful diamond, though it is possible. I want firm truth when I'm looking at my diamond, and the only way I can get that is to see it. 
I want to see it with my eyes, and I want it put in a performance device that I can actually see its performance. If you as a jeweler cannot do this, I will not buy from you. There's no reason why any jeweler here in the States should not or does not have any sort of handheld simple performance device in their store and have some idea on how to use it. I mean, this stuff has been out since the 90s. This is 2013. And so if you're a jeweler who has no idea about this terminology, you either lie or you should just plainly not be in this business. So if you go into a store and they don't have any of these types of tools, make sure you help them if they want your business to pick them up. You can buy them from just about any any you know sort of uh, uh, distribution jeweler's distribution channel. You know they have them at Stuller, they have them at Kessler, they have them at uh, you know wh- whatever they want to use. You know there there are uh, catalogs that they can just buy these out of. So they can buy their own performance tools, and there's many of them. You can get them on the internet, you know. So there's no there's no need for a jeweler not to have, or there's no reason for a jeweler not to have one. And then to be unknowledgeable about performance is a sad statement. And there's quite a few out there. I mean, there's no reason that a person can't be in the business for a very long time and just ignore things. I mean, the jewelry industry is slow to change, but this has been out since the middle '90s at least. For the average person, it's been out much earlier than that uh, for many people. Well, I should say a few, not many, for a few people. But, you know, once we hit the 2000s, I mean, this is in full swing. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's mentioning it. There's brands all over the place. There's all sorts of things going on. So make sure you go to a store that has these kinds of tools. Yes, prepare yourself. Yes, make yourself knowledgeable. But don't hang your hat on any other theoretical uh, sort of parameter that's out there. They are good. They they are like a GPS, but they can't get you to that house you're trying to drive to, just like they can't get you to an exact beauty or performance in your diamond. It's a very broad range. So when you get lucky and you get to the street, or you get lucky because you got to the block, and that's exactly what it is. It's luck at that point. Really what they can do is get you to the city. So they'll get you in that range. But we know in the city there's some nice areas to live and there's some bad areas to live. Even when they get you to the block, there's some nice houses and some bad houses, right? Even in the area where you live now. So uh, those analysis are purely theoretical opinions to get you in a close range where you want to go. But in no case can it give you the uh, the true performance of any diamond that's out there. So yes, I, I think it's possible that we can we can play with these. Even, even I play with them here. You know, I'm still working on this video and I'm I'm showing the different performances. It's taken me a lot longer just because I have a lot of other things that I'm working on. And once I put it out, I'll put it out on YouTube and on the website. But uh, you know, I use them. I use them to give ideas of what you should be looking for. And uh, but I don't ever give you any numbers of what to look for because the numbers kind of get us distracted into a direction we don't need to be. What we need to actually look at is is how beautiful is this diamond right now? Not what its ranges are. I mean, obviously, once we put it in the performance device, it's going to tell us if it's horribly cut. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious. It's immediate. We don't have to. We don't have to sit there and. And uh, and then divide out the length, the width, and the depth, and then all of a sudden figure out the table and what the crown angle is, and how how high up these halves are run. Is it is it 
Is it, uh, are these paste? Are these dug? Are these this? Are these that? We don't have to worry about all those kinds of things. Put it in the performance device, you're done. I mean, it takes you less than a second to discern the performance in the diamond. It may take you, you know, 20 seconds or a minute to kind of get an idea of what to look for. But once you have an idea of what to look for, then you kind of blow everything out of the water and just say, put it in there, I'll see it. And, and, and the big reason for that is, let me just say this. The reason you want to buy a high-performance diamond is for the fact that it will perform well in many, if not all, lighting situations. So when you go to a store and you say you can't see the difference uh, uh, from one diamond and a high-performance diamond, and i got to be honest with you, if the lighting is such in a jewelry store, it can be very difficult. I mean, the jewelry stores are set up, right? I worked in stores. I helped set up lighting in the stores. I know what the lighting is for. The lighting is to to show the wares, to make sure that you really uh, put everything out there so it, it looks as pleasing as possible to, to your eye. So it helps you want to buy the, the diamond. You know, it, it shows it in its best light, you know. And um, so when you look at two diamonds, one that may not be as high-performing as another, and you set them next to each other, and there's these blazing lights in the store, what do you think happens when you take a really shiny object that has a high refractive index, it, uh, it has a very, uh, it has an adamantine luster, and the facets are reflecting off, so you've got external reflections, and you get internal reflections, and you move these two things together, and bang, these lights flash back in your eye. That's fantastic lighting. That's not in your home. That's not at the restaurant. That's not at the library. That's not at the store. That's not, at, you know, not out shopping. That's not, you know, at your friend's house. You, you want to think about all the different situations you're going to be in and how is the diamond going to perform there? Are you going to enjoy it in those situations? And the fact is, is you need to move the diamond around. You need to get it out of those lights, right? So it's, it's not something that, um, that if you have it in, in blazing light, and I'll tell you another mistake that people make. Another mistake that people make is they, they take it out in the sunlight in the wrong way. There's a right way to do it, and then there's a wrong way to do it. And uh, the right way to do it is, uh, I'll tell you that in a second, but the wrong way to do it is when you take a diamond uh, out into the sunlight, it's, it's you know high noon, the <laughs> sun is up blazing, and you turn your back to the sun, and you tip the diamonds so they're towards your face, so the sun is now shining directly into the diamonds, and both diamonds blind your eyes. That's not the right way to do it. In fact, that's, that's much more bright, and it's not good for your eye either, uh, much more bright um, than it would be even in the sun, So, I mean in the store. So what you want to do is you want to make sure you take it to an area where you get you know, external lighting, right? You want a little bit of diffused light. Take them under trees. You know, you want to want to see what a really high performance diamond will do in uh, in in outside lighting. Take it under a tree. It's it, everything's green right now in most places. You know, it's it's raining out here in the south, but um, might still be a little dry in California. But wherever you are, there's going to be there's evergreen trees out there in California. So look at look at it under those trees. You know, some, something with leaves on it. Get it out of the direct sunlight and get your get your you know your non what would be high performing stone. Under the under the lights, uh, under the same tree, and hold them hold them in the you know the Q-lit tickers. If the jeweler has those, you, you can use them in locking tweezers. And uh, you know if the jeweler won't let you do that, of course I would say don't buy from them. If they're in a mall, it kind of creates a difficult situation. Um, but you want to be able to look at into those lights, and you'll see you'll see some incredible 
dispersion differences in a well, high-performance diamond than one that's not. So the dispersion would be really impressive. But you'll also see it with a balance of brightness. So what ends up happening with a diamond that's well-made, or let's just say a diamond that's a high-performance diamond, High-performance diamonds are like triathletes. They'll perform well in just about every lighting situation possible. Some diamonds out there will perform well in certain types of lighting. So certain types of diamonds may be highly dispersive but look flat and dark. Some diamonds will be highly scintillative. So you see a lot of little popping and flashing. You'll find that a lot of the name brand diamonds that are out there that have a really high degree of facets on them. So when they have a, you know, over the standard, uh, you know, round brilliant amount and, uh, you know, 100 plus facets on a stone will create a situation where you have a high degree of scintillation and uh, a little teeny weeny, teeny weeny reflections on the inside of the stone. And uh, stones like that almost have, in many cases, a, a great degree or a great loss of dispersion. You know, so they won't be as dispersive. You won't see the play of colors as much. Why that is, I, I couldn't answer that, but you, you can see it with your own eyes. It just doesn't happen. So um, actually, I have an idea, but I, I'm not going to use it on this show. But, uh, you know, so diamonds with, with a high degree of facets will, will have a higher degree of scintillation, um, but they won't have a higher degree of brilliance. That's, that's a fake term. They, a lot of times they use it where they say it's, that it's... That it's um, that it has a better light return because of their amount of facets. And that's just, that's wrong terminology. It has a high degree of scintillation. Brilliance is the overall brightness of the stone. And just because it has more facets doesn't mean that it's brighter. It just means, you know, like I said, I'll say it again, it has more scintillation. So they're using the incorrect terminology. So anyway, um, there are ways to look at the diamond. Look at it in diffused lighting. Look at it under, you know, the edge of the counter. You know, make sure the jeweler knows you're doing this. So get it out of the light. Um, and the reason why you use the performance-based tools is because you want to make sure all the facets are performing their right functions. So each facet has a job function. You want to make sure it's doing that job function. Otherwise, it's going to fail in certain types of lighting environments. So, yeah, you can go into a store, and two diamonds may look to your eye almost identical. It's how they're going to look elsewhere in the world. Now, the other term was uh, the, uh, the question was, is, well, I couldn't see the difference between a hearts and arrows and a non-hearts and arrows. Well, how nice was the hearts and arrows stone, and how nice was the non-hearts and arrows stone? You know, hearts and arrows is an, is another area where it's kind of like that GPS. You can have extremely well-made hearts and arrows, and it's similar to perfect performing stones, and, and hearts and arrows stones that are sort of washed out. You know, and, and again, the true terminology for hearts and arrows stone, if we go back to Japan, was that they were extremely high-performing diamonds. The American Hearts and Arrows, as you'll find out there, there are some extreme ranges that, that the original Hearts and Arrows would have never adhered to. They wouldn't even have been called Hearts and Arrows just because of the, uh, um, again, when you have a parameter and we change it and we make it broader to make it more acceptable, we, we change what the performance would be. And, and Anyway, I'm getting into my own sort of world here for a second. I don't want to distract our conversation. But there's different levels, unfortunately, of what people, not what I will, but what people will call hearts and arrows. And even some individuals have now grades of hearts and arrows, A, B, and C. 
And unfortunately, there's only one type of diamond that should be called hearts and arrows. That's just not the case in the world today. So I have to go with what everybody else is saying out there. And uh, there's varying types and grades of hearts and arrows in today's, in today's world. I just, as a purist, I don't think that's true. So no, you can't use any sort of theoretical analysis to, uh, to buy your diamond. What I would suggest that you would use if you want to find out really what you're getting as far as performance, um, make sure that you look at it under a performance device. So uh, if you're going to buy, make sure you're empowered and make sure you ask the right questions. Make sure you buy from somebody with personality, enthusiasm, and integrity. And then two, make sure you buy from somebody who has one of the performance devices for you. Don't go on a guess. Don't use a bad GPS. Sometimes that phone that I have, that Android phone, just brings me to the city. I don't know why that is. But on occasion, it does crazy things like that. So maybe I need an iPhone. I don't know. So make sure that when you're buying... You are empowered and protecting yourself. It's your responsibility. It's your duty to buy from somebody good, but it's still your responsibility to protect yourself financially in all these situations because the piece you're going to buy for yourself or buy for someone else is used to memorialize that special moment. And uh, that goes on from generation to generation. If you've got any questions, you may email them in to me. Uh, you may email them into me at uh, jchristopher at diamondanswerman.com. You may also send me questions at, on Twitter, and you may send them to uh, the at symbol at D-A-M-J-C-G-R-I-T-Z. Uh, you may reach me at LinkedIn. You may also visit my website, send me a message there through SpeakPipe, which is right on the right-hand side. You click that, it'll also allow you to install an app on your iPad or iPhone. You can send me questions right through there. It's got a pretty good... Um, pretty good uh, uh, quality of call. On my next uh, show, I'll talk about uh, some of the messages I received. In, in the, the, I got a phone call, and I had a speak pipe call. And I'll go ahead and play those in our next show, and you'll see the differences in quality. And maybe I'll just go ahead and remove one, and you'll see which one I'm talking about. Anyway, if you've got any questions, go ahead and email them into me or call me at 803-792-1326. And thanks so much for listening to the Diamond Answer Man Show.